Hey everybody, welcome to episode 283 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a summer day in Austin, Texas. Excited to be chatting with you today. Today's topic is a bit of a smorgasbord of topics. I've had questions about a couple of different areas recently that I wanted to cover off on the podcast. I've covered these before in different varieties and versions, but wanted to specifically get to a few specific areas in these two topics today. One is on heat and running and how do you adapt your training accordingly, especially with the recent heat waves that have really been hitting all over the U.S., all over the world, as we're getting temperatures that we've never seen or faced. So many people are asking me questions about heat and running that maybe typically haven't faced these questions in their climate. So I want to get to heat and running and talk about some of the specific concepts there to think about, particularly around hydration. And then in a related fashion, but a different topic, I want to talk about self-talk. I want to talk about positive self-talk. And there was an article this week from Alex Hutchinson from Sweat Science and Outside Magazine that spurred some thoughts and questions about self-talk that I wanted to cover. Again, that's something I've covered before, but I wanted to specifically cover off on today. So I'll spend about half of this episode talking about heat and running, about half of this episode talking about self-talk. Fortunately, you need positive self-talk to help running through these summer conditions. So hopefully those two things will ultimately marry up in your training in some form or fashion. So we'll get to that in just a second. Before we get there, I wanted to cover off on two things. One, if you're not watching the World Championships, then you are missing out. There's been some great coverage of the Eugene World Championships happening right now. Still going through the end of this weekend. So if you're listening to this on a Friday, you've still got a couple of days to watch with some exciting events still to come. You can check that out on the NBC family of channels and on the Peacock network. So go check that out if you haven't already. Wanted to specifically call out some one inspirational athlete, I think, from these these championships, which is Sarah Hall. 39 years old, finished fifth overall in the women's marathon in what was a very, very impressive run and an impressive, impressive time for her in a race that went out really, really fast, and she stayed patient. They went out in world record pace, and she stayed patient, stayed back with a second pack of women, including Emma Bates and ultimately Kira D'Amato from the U.S., and then they went on to run really great races, finishing three Americans in the top eight, fifth, seventh, and eighth for Sarah, Emma, and Kira, respectively, in a very, very impressive run. But to me, Sarah's result stands out the most for a lot of reasons. One, because I've been a fan of hers for a long time. But two, because it has been a nearly two-decade journey for her to try to make a global championship U.S. team. And this is her first team to make at that level, either the world championships or the Olympic level. And she does it at 39. She does it after consistently following the process and doing the work for more than two decades now. If you think back to her career in high school all the way till now, she kept working in spite of not getting that ultimate goal that she wanted, which was to make a team like this. And yet here she is 
not only making that team, but also performing really well with a top five finish. And she's an athlete that I believe you can believe in, who does it the right way, who is a great person inside and out, and who is an athlete that's inspiring in so many ways. So it's just cool for me to see her as as somebody who's been a fan of hers for a long time, but also it represents a lot of the principles. She represents, I think, a lot of the principles that I talked about in my last episode, episode 282 on running and longevity. But this idea that you have to love the process, you have to follow in love fall in love with the journey. It's about the journey as much as it is about the destination. And while she's had quote unquote failure through the years and not getting exactly what she wanted, she stuck with it because she loved the process of training and getting better. And ultimately here we are at 39. It paid off in spades with that result at the world champs on the biggest stage in front of a U.S. crowd, the first ever world champs held in the U.S., and she just seemed to love it. She was cheering on the crowd. She was high-fiving her kids, Kira D'Amato's kids. She just seemed to really love it and thrive in that environment, which is so cool to see. So hats off to Sarah Hall as someone who I think is a perfect example of that inspiration of somebody who just falls in love with the process, continues to do the work, and then ultimately the result does come even if it wasn't on the timeline that she perhaps expected so hats off to sarah hall really appreciate everything that she has done for the sport through the years and everything she continues to represent as an inspiration to us all so wanted to mention sarah's result and then also quickly before i get started into the topic is wanted to mention that next week i'll be out on a family vacation, so I won't be posting an episode next week on July 29th, but I will be coming back with another episode on August 5th to resume episodes, and I'll actually be announcing a new partner, actually, in that episode, a new sponsor is going to be coming on to support the podcast, so stay tuned for that coming up here in a couple of weeks, and thanks for your patience as I take a family vacation to the beach. So, so with that, let's jump in to my main topic again. A bit of a smorgasbord today, but I've had these two topics on my mind for different reasons. I've also had questions about these two topics because of some of the recent things we've seen, both with weather and with some of the articles coming out. So here we go. We're going to talk about heat and running. We're going to talk about self-talk and running. On the heat and running side, again, we're going to get, I'm going to get really practical with you about how to manage it as best as possible in what has been a brutal summer so far across the world and then, or at least the Northern Hemisphere here. And then also on the self-talk side, I'm going to talk about four practical ways you can use self-talk in order to perform better and train better. So we'll get to that in just a second. And again, I hope that those two things meet in the middle as you have to use self-talk to get through some of these tough summer runs. But as we talk about heat and running, wanted to first just paint the picture of why this summer has been so challenging in so many places. One, obviously, because the absolute temperature has been extreme, that makes it harder. You know, I know London area in the UK had some of the warmest temperatures ever recorded on record there with temperatures over 40 degrees Celsius. And here in Austin, we've had 
our hottest May on record, our hottest June on record. We're on track for our hard, our hottest July on record. We're on track so far to have more 100 plus degree days Fahrenheit than we've ever had. Set a record of 90 in 2011, but we're already halfway to that point here as we sit in July with usually our hottest month of the year in August still to come. So it's just been a brutal summer from an absolute temperature standpoint. The other thing that's been interesting is the humidity and the dew points. Again, don't necessarily know what that looks like in all parts of the country, but I can tell you from an Austin perspective, we've had warm, low temperatures typically around 80 degrees Fahrenheit with also really high dew points, meaning the water content in the air is also really high. In fact, yesterday our dew point was 75 degrees. The dew point is is the cooling temperature, cooling in air quotes, at which the air can no longer hold water and it condenses into water droplets, which would fall on the ground as dew. So that's the dew point, but it's a measurement of essentially the water content in the air that's a little bit different than relative humidity. And so when you have a dew point of 75 degrees, that means there's a whole lot of water in the air and it makes it really, really challenging. And really anything over 60 degrees dew point is going to affect you in some way on even an easy run. So dew points have been high. Absolute temperatures have been high. Humidity in many places has been high, and that is a formula for tough runs. Interestingly, I think we give ourselves a lot of grace when we might travel to altitude and if we're running at eight or nine or even 10,000 feet, we naturally think, well, of course I'm going slower. There's less oxygen in the air and I have to make that adjustment. We don't, for whatever reason, typically give ourselves the same grace around heat and humidity, but we need to because those conditions will absolutely affect your ability to perform and will certainly affect your effort at the same paces versus cooler temperatures. And so you have to make those adjustments here in Austin where it's warm and we have to feel good about training through the summers. We tell we tell ourselves that our heat and humidity is the poor man's altitude because it does provide a stimulus that will have an altitude like effect. It's not the same, but it does it does help you even though you're having to run slower on those runs than you normally would, obviously. So I wanted to dig into this topic of heat and running again because a lot of people are facing it in new ways this summer that they maybe haven't faced before. I'll also point you to episode 236 where I talked about five tips for running in the heat. Talked about some some higher level topics in that one and gave five tips for how to how to stay strong and adjust through the summer conditions. I talked about the five things were being patient, slowing down, wearing as little as possible so that you can stay cool, dialing in your hydration and staying positive through it all. So those are my five tips, a little bit higher level discussion than what I want to drill into today, which is going to be more specific and practical. So let's jump in. I'm going to talk about sweat testing. I'm going to talk about daily hydration and electrolytes. I'm going to talk about keeping yourself cool on the run. And I'm also going to talk about what are the signs of heat exhaustion and when you need to know 
or how you need to know to pull the trigger on a given day because that's, I think, also an important barometer for you on these runs is you have to know when to call it quits because, again, you can get yourself into dangerous positions and if you keep pushing when heat exhaustion might come on, then then obviously that can progress to much worse. So I'm going to talk about those more detailed variables in this conversation today. So first of all, I wanted to talk about doing a sweat test. You know, this is something that in the past I would mostly recommend for people that were having issues with heat or hydration. But the more and more we have these conditions like we're having, I think it's something that really everybody should consider doing at one time or another. It's super easy to pull off and it gives you really valuable information about what type of hydration needs you might have on a run. And so I want to explain the mechanics of the sweat test and talk a little bit about how you apply that. But I'd really recommend anybody, especially in these conditions or anybody facing tough conditions this summer to do it just so you have the information and then can make decisions about what that might mean for your in-run hydration particularly. So what is a sweat test? A crude way to figure out how much water weight you're losing on the run is to do a one hour run in conditions that would be like what you would face in your normal summer running conditions but do a one hour run don't go to the bathroom don't take any fluids on that run or if you do take fluids note the volume of those fluids so that you can make those adjustments at the end after the sweat test is completed but what you would do is weigh yourself without clothing before your run Go for your one hour run. Again, no using the bathroom, no taking in fluids on that run. And then come back, dry off, strip down, take off your clothes, weigh yourself again. And that weight loss in pounds is equivalent to the weight loss for fluid on that run from sweat. And so what you would do is multiply the pounds lost times 16 ounces per pound. And that's going to give you a sense for what your sweat rate is in terms of ounces on a run within a one hour time period. If you happen to take in any fluid during that run, then you would add that volume to that total at the end in order to get that total sweat loss on the run, offsetting that amount taken in. When I first did this sweat test, I lost two pounds in an hour, which from what I've read is about average amount of sweat loss for someone who is with my characteristics, which was 32 ounces of fluid in a single hour. And I have athletes I coach, I have friends who have done this, who have a sweat rate of 2x, uh, one of my close friends, up to 3x that amount, who's someone who's losing six pounds per hour of fluid. And it's going to just simply vary based on your genetics. And of course, For you over time, it would vary based on the conditions. So you want to do this in conditions that are similar to what you're facing during your current summer months. So do that process, figure out how much fluid you're losing per hour in ounces. And then you need to think about replacing about 80% of that per hour on the runs. So for me, if I'm losing 32 ounces per hour, 80% of that is just under 26 ounces. I round it to 25 ounces. So when I'm going out for long efforts, it's less important on shorter efforts because you can get away with 
being a little bit dehydrated on a shorter run. But when you're going out for longer efforts, longer runs, then it's really critical to make sure that you're staying on top of this. But you need to be replacing about 80% of that. And for me, that's 25 ounces per hour. I carry a 20-ounce handheld in the summer months. And so I'm trying to go through about one and a quarter of those handhelds every hour in order to stay on top of my hydration. For those that have much higher sweat rates who might need to be replacing 50 or 60 ounces per hour, then you're going to have to be much more creative about how that's taken care of. So that might include having a a bladder that you wear on your back in your on your back in order to make sure that you're able to get the amount of fluid that you need. And to be clear, this is all an individual thing. So the parameters of what you might need on a run, you'll have to play with yourself in order to figure out that that perfect sweet spot of how much you need to replace and take in. So play with it, but my general hypothesis for most people out there is that you're not actually taking in the amount of fluid that you need in order to maintain a homeostasis, especially on a hot and humid day. So do the sweat test, calibrate that versus what you're taking in, and then amp up your hydration in order to get there. For some of you, there may be a big gap to the amount you're taking in versus what you theoretically need using that sweat test and then that 80% formula that I gave you. And if so, it may not be practical for you to jump quickly to that. You may have to practice and gradually add more hydration over time in order to build to that point of, of really replacing the fluid you need. But that's okay. It's a part of the process. More is going to be more helpful for you. And so make sure you're building to that point and being creative about how you take in fluids in order to get there. And again, it's tricky because when you're like me and you're falling in that average range of maybe 20 to 25 ounces needed per hour, you can accomplish that fairly easily by getting it handheld and making sure that you're refilling it at the right frequency. But when you start to get more than that, then you have to be creative either by wearing a pack with a bladder in it, perhaps carrying more bottles, having a fuel belt on that has more hydration associated with it, or some other creative solution like doing smaller loops so that you can get back and re- refill that handheld more more frequently. But think about what that looks like, creative formula and path for you to take in more hydration so that you can match up with that sweat loss a little bit more closely, get to that 80% threshold. And I promise you, you'll, you'll feel better on your runs if you do that. Because fluid not only helps fuel the body for respiration and all the things the body's trying to accomplish from a chemical reaction standpoint, but it also helps keep our blood volume up so that we can cool ourselves as well. So do the sweat test, figure out what you need, and try to replace about 80% of that on those long runs especially. Again, you can get away with it on the shorter stuff, perhaps even the workouts. I know for me, if I'm going 10 miles or less, I can typically get away with with doing a little bit less. But once I start getting over 10 miles, then I have to stay up on those numbers in order to feel good throughout the run and also not to build too much of a deficit for me to recover from post-run. So number one here is do that sweat test. Number two, make sure you're staying on top of your daily hydration. I've said this once, I'll say it a thousand times. In these some warm summer conditions, if you're not well hydrated, 
24-7, particularly with electrolytes, then you're missing out and you're going to feel bad at some point during your summer training months. It's just the way it works because we can't replace all the things we're losing on these warm summer days, especially if you're in a warm climate like Texas. So make sure you're on top of that daily hydration, not only getting the fluid you need, but also supplementing with the electrolytes that you need in order to absorb the fluid that you're taking in. Electrolytes help you with osmosis, which is the process by which water flows from your bloodstream through the cellular wall into the cell so that it can be used for respiration, among other things. So make sure you have the electrolytes you need because if you don't, what happens is you'll take in a bunch of water, it'll get into your bloodstream, it'll go around to your working cells, it'll knock on the door and try to go in, but not be able to because you don't have that electrolyte balance right. And then eventually the blood will just take it right out to the kidneys and then you flush it out through your urine. So it's just literally going in and out without being used in the ways that you need it to train properly. So make sure you have that electrolyte balance right, which I've tried during the summer months to go without supplementing electrolytes, but I just can't do it without supplementing in some form through an outside means. And so what I will do is I'll take twice daily servings of electrolytes, one typically in the morning, one in the afternoon. Total those ounces with electrolytes compass about a third of my daily hydration in addition to the other water I'm taking in, but it's critical. Personally, I like a product called Light Switch from the Human Nutrition Project, which is based here in Austin, but there's Scratch, there's Noon, there's Element, there's Osmo, there's all sorts of options from a daily hydration standpoint. And I would encourage you to find the one that you like that works for you, that has the right flavors and the right mixture for you that feels good, that you like, and do it. Supplement it twice a day in those summer months so that you can stay on top of not only fluid intake, but also fluid absorption so that it gets used in the right ways for your training. Otherwise, you're going you're going to hit a wall. You're going to feel crappy. And I'm telling you, I've seen it happen where people get into the doldrums of fatigue in summer training. And I ask them about their daily hydration program and electrolyte supplementation. And they tell me that it's non-existent. And then they start doing it and feel dramatically different. So do it, especially if you live in a warm climate like mine. I don't typically do that year round. I'm doing that four to five months of the year, depending on how our conditions are. Started earlier this year than ever in May with that protocol for me, but I'll probably carry it all the way through September because those are the months that are the warmest here. So make sure you're dialing in that daily daily hydration. I also recommend if you can, if you can supplementing electrolytes on the run as well. Personally, on longer runs on hot days, I will use a product called Endurolytes and I'll take about one serving every hour on the run to supplement electrolytes during the run, again, to make sure I'm getting that absorption of fluid as I go during the run. But I consider that second priority to staying on top of that daily hydration. Because if you go in and you're at a deficit starting the run, then it's going to be impossible for you to catch up on the run. You are going to feel it. But if you go in topped off and ready, then you'll feel good on the run and then you can tweak that formula on the run 
to make sure that you're even optimizing that. But it's, in my from my perspective, second priority to that daily hydration. Still important, but less important than making sure you go in well hydrated. So do your sweat test, dial in your daily hydration. Third point I want to make here is make sure you're being creative about cooling yourself, cooling yourself in some way. Fluid intake, especially cold fluid intake, is one way to cool yourself, but externally cooling your body is actually a faster way to get that done. And so making sure that you're staying as cool as possible on these runs externally is also important. So what does that look like? It looks like, especially in humid climates, wearing as little clothing as possible. There is no technical fabric that can beat the humidity that we have here in Austin. It prevents us from from having that evaporative cooling process work as we sweat so that the sweat evaporates and then cools our body as we go. It just sits on us like a blanket. And so if you have a technical shirt on or fabric, it's not going to work to the expectations you might have. So you want to make sure you're wearing as little clothing as possible and also that you're cooling your body externally as you can. What that looks like for me is dumping cold water on the top of my head, also the back of my neck during those runs to try to give myself a little bit of relief. You can also dump water on your your wrists as that's another cooling spot. If you have ice, you can put ice on your under your hat if you're wearing one you can also put ice under your armpits as another area that is particularly good at helping you cool externally these are little ways to make adjustments to your body temperature with external resources that are going to help make you feel better on the run one thing i've done when particularly doing long runs by myself is i'll grab a cooler throw some rags in it with a little bit of water and ice and when i circle back to my house to perhaps perhaps refill on hydration then i'll grab one of those towels that's cold and ice throw it on the back of my neck wipe my face with it put it on my top of my head for a bit just to get a little bit of that external cooling happening so that i get some relief and then of course head back out on my run so be creative about how you're cooling yourself as well or as little as possible, and then find ways to cool yourself externally. So that's number three, cool yourself. Number four, I just wanted to recognize and appreciate the fact that you can do everything right from a hydration standpoint, from a cooling standpoint, from a what you're wearing standpoint, and sometimes it can still be too much. Again, these conditions are challenging. We may or may not always be acclimated to them depending on your climate. And even if you do all things right, you might still end up in a situation where you have heat exhaustion coming. So you want to be very aware of what those symptoms are like. Because if you have heat exhaustion coming on, then you want to stop your run. You've got to then quickly focus on getting cooled and getting out of the heat so that you can recover from that process. And again, can happen to all of us. It can happen to the best of us. It can happen to, to those of us that have done all the right things in terms of preparing for it. So make sure you recognize those signs and symptoms and that you cut your run short when it happens so that you can get yourself into a cool environment and get those symptoms to abate. So what are the symptoms? The symptoms of heat exhaustion are 
when you might have the chills coming on, you might get a little dizzy, nauseous, you might have fatigue that's higher than normal in the run. You should also potentially feel your heart rate elevated higher than normal. And so when those things start happening and you feel like the run is getting out of your control, meaning you can't maintain the same effort without feeling some of those symptoms that I just mentioned, that's, those are signs of either the early onset of heat exhaustion or heat exhaustion. When it crosses over from there to heat stroke, that's when you stop sweating altogether and your body basically starts to shut down. So you don't want to get to that point. So make sure that if you feel those early signs of heat exhaustion that you cut your run short and that you get to a place where you can cool off as quickly as possible. Get inside and then get ice and cold water potentially to not only cool yourself externally but cool yourself internally as well. You want to attack it from both angles if that's what you're feeling. Again, that means ice on the top of the head, back of the neck, under the armpits, on the wrists. Those are all places that you can help get external cooling activated while also trying to take in additional fluid to get that internal cooling activated as well so you can bring your body temperature down and then and then ultimately be okay from those symptoms and conditions. So if that happens, recognize it, cut your run short, even after you start to feel better and or get your body temperature under control, don't go back out for more. Stop there, call it a day, probably take it easier the next day so that you give your body some time to recover from that event and then you can resume training after that if all is going well. So recognize those signs and just be cautious and careful with it. Immediately shut that and run down. Find a way to cool yourself. Live to fight another day. So those are my very practical heat recommendations for today. Do that sweat test. Really figure out and dial in your daily hydration with electrolytes. Recognize and find ways to cool yourself externally on the runs to the extent possible. And then, of course, know those signs of heat exhaustion and make sure you take the steps to avoid that when those symptoms come on. So those are my thoughts on heat today. Now I want to switch gears to talk about self-talk. To talk about self-talk, there was actually an article, which I'll link in the show notes, from Alex Hutchinson with Sweat Science. He's been on the show many times. He is someone who often pulls scientific studies and then gives us the practical application of them. But this article this week that I saw was asking a question, does negative self-talk slow you down or does positive self-talk speed you up? So there's good science to say that positive self-talk can help and there's science that tells us that negative self-talk will hurt. And so the question was, well, which is more important? Doing, giving yourself that positive self-talk or avoiding that negative self-talk, which is more important. And so this study took 29 volunteers, gave them self-talk training. A third of them were assigned to run on a treadmill for an hour at a moderate pace while using their positive self-talk training. A second group did the same run, but were assigned negative self-talk statements. So they were basically told to beat themselves up a little bit on the run mentally. And then a third group completed the same run, but listened to a neutral audio documentary called Stephen, Stephen Hawking, Master of the Universe, designed to just simply distract them and not actually give positive or negative self-talk. 
Interestingly, there was no difference in the results for the positive self-talk group and the neutral group listening to Hawking's musings musings on physics, but the negative self-talk group made had significantly harder effort reported on the run and also had faster breathing rate and higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol in their saliva. And all of this, of course, indicated that the perceived effort, perceived effort was higher in the event of negative self-talk versus the other two scenarios. So to me, that was an interesting aha moment in that positive self-talk may be as much about avoiding negative self-talk as it is anything else. It also made me realize why certain things I do that are neutral, like counting, I I'll talk about this later, but I will count when I'm working in a workout and in a race, and that will help distract me from any pain or negative self-talk. That's a helpful tool for me, but it makes sense why something as innocuous as that that puts you into a neutral thought process can be productive because it keeps you out of a negative spiral. And so I wanted to talk about ways for you to think about self-talk and and some practical applications of it that will essentially help reprogram your brain away from that negative self-talk. We all have it. It's interesting to me as a coach that I often see people struggle with this the most as high-achieving people that are striving for big goals. It's amazing how insecure we can be. And this, by the way, is agnostic of where you might run in the pack From the front to the back, I've seen this throughout the pack that all of us tend to focus more on the negative than the positive. We like to give ourselves reasons why we can't. We also like to give what if scenarios that might be bad versus thinking about the potential positive outcomes. And so it's more often that I see people say to themselves, well, what if this bad thing happens versus painting the other side of the picture, which is what if a good thing might happen? Or we like to think, what if I'm not good enough versus what if I am good enough? What if I'm strong instead? So most of the conversations I have with athletes are about reframing those negative thoughts into positive ones so that it doesn't bring you down in your training or in your racing. To me, that study from Alex kind of shows us how that can be kryptonite for you. Not only does it affect your perceived effort and in, in what you're reporting, but there were also real physiological changes in those runners that were speaking negatively to themselves in terms of their breathing rate and their cortisol levels. I mean, so your body's physically responding to that. So all of us should be on a mission to reprogram our minds so that we minimize the negative self-talk as much as possible even though it's hard and it will slip in and there will be that devil on your shoulder periodically, the more you can reframe that in positive ways or in neutral ways, the better. So I want to go through four ways that I think we can use positive self-talk in a way that can help reprogram those negative thoughts out of our brain. Some of these I've talked about before, but I want to kind of consolidate and put them all in one place. So One is by having visions and dreams and giving yourselves a visual representation of that somewhere. So a vision board of sorts is what I'm talking about here. We need 
to have a true north in training, I often talk about purpose and you being able to identify why you want a goal. But I also believe that in order to, again, plant positive thoughts in your brain, give yourself that vision for what's possible and imprint that in your mind to the point where you believe that it's going to happen, you have to especially visually represent that everywhere you can as much as possible. So having a vision and dream that you can physically represent and manifest in some way, I think is a critical step in reprogramming those negative thoughts from your brain. Because believe me, the negative stuff comes easily. It comes almost automatically for most of us. We naturally go to those thoughts. We don't even have to think about it. They just pop into our brain. And so in order to combat that, you have to consistently hit your brain. You have to reprogram yourself with the positive by giving yourself as much as possible some other thoughts to replace those negative thoughts with. To me, this starts with a vision and dream. Board, and I'm going to use board in air quotes very loosely, doesn't mean that you have to pull out a bunch of pictures from a magazine and post those on the wall and somehow visually represent your goals and dreams in the sport. Although, by the way, I believe that's a very cool and valuable exercise that sounds cheesy, but will actually pay dividends for all of you if you're willing to do it. But aside from that, if you're not willing to do that, or maybe you're not as artistically oriented, find a way to visually represent your dreams in other ways. Post it on the wall. It could be your time goal. It could be your goal race. It could be a course map with your time goal represented on it. Put in your life visually somewhere that thing you want, that goal you have. Again, it doesn't have to be time goal. It could be to cover a distance. It could be to accomplish certain things in your training. But either way, find a way to visually represent that, even if it's just simply the the words and letters that represent your goal and put that in places that you see frequently. Put it on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator with a magnet, put it on your car dash. One of my favorite things from James Dawes is he he builds them into his passwords. So every time he enters his password, he's somehow entering his goal and he'll change his password to represent his current goals so that anytime he enters his password into those key accounts he's being reminded of what his goal is do that put it everywhere make it visual do it creatively if you need to but make sure that you're reminding yourself constantly what you want what that goal is what that dream is so that you're thinking positively about that goal and dream to the point where it will become something that you not only believe is possible, but that you absolutely know you're going to get at some point. So make sure you represent that vision and dream in some physical way as a way to remind yourself about the positive target you have so that you can drown out those negative thoughts about what could go wrong on that path. So that's number one here is find a way to represent your vision and dream in a physical way in as many places as possible. Number two, think about positive affirmations. The way I like to think about this is we all have a negative thing that we like to tell ourselves in, in, in a way that manifests most frequently. 
it's going to be that example of what you think maybe your biggest weakness is or your biggest insecurity or what you think is going to be the biggest challenge for you in getting your goal. There will be typically one or two things thematically that jump on your shoulder as that devil most frequently. So I want you to be aware first of what those things are. Note them when you think about those negative thoughts so that you can understand and reflect on the pattern you might be creating for yourself. And then create a positive affirmation, a simple phrase or sentence that spins the opposite in a positive way that is also believable and realistic for you. So if it's, I'm slow, you know, I have people tell me all the time, I'm slow, I'm slow, I'm slow. Maybe because in their mind they are relative to the pack. I don't know. But again, I'm someone who doesn't believe in slow. There's no slow, only degrees of fast. But if that's your insecurity where you just think you're slow relative to the pack, then flip that on its head. Your positive affirmation is, I am strong, I am fast, perhaps. That's one example. Then I want you to post that right next to that goal and dream of yours, that positive affirmation. And then I want you to repeat it to yourself every day in the mirror. Doesn't have to be with anybody watching, but that will make a massive difference in reprogramming those thoughts from the negative to the positive so that you can hopefully more often think about being fast and strong than being slow because it's not helpful to constantly beat yourself up and say you're slow. It's not helpful. You've got to reprogram those thoughts. So reprogram those with those positive affirmations that you post visually and that you say out loud to yourself every single day. Could be in the mirror. Could be when you're driving in the car by yourself, commuting to work. It, it'll only take seconds, but I promise you it'll make a massive difference in your programming in your brain and what thoughts come to mind all the time, but also certainly when you're training and racing. So figure out what that positive affirmation is. And I think it can be most effective when it's the foil, when it's the opposite, when it pushes away from those negative thoughts that you most typically have. So first step, figure out what those negative thoughts and themes are. Second step, establish a positive affirmation that works against it, that puts better thoughts into your brain. So that's number two. Figure out what those positive affirmations will be for you. Number three, mantras. Mantras. These are more specific positive affirmations that might be used in the instance of a training workout or a race. I talk about Mantras all the time when it comes to race planning. I like for people to have two types of mantras, rhythm mantras and fight mantras. You've heard me talk about that before. And I want you to, as a part of your training, use mantras so that you can then take some of those that worked well for you in training and apply them to race day. But think about what are your rhythm mantras? What are the words, phrases, images perhaps that you can focus on that are going to get you into a rhythm-oriented spot where you're cool and relaxed and smooth and rolling and then what are going to be your fight mantras what are the words and phrases you're going to say when the going gets tough when you're pressing the edge on that last repeat or in that final mile of the race what are you going to tell yourself to beat back the pain and 
make sure the negative thoughts are crowded out and only filled filled with those positive mantras. So think about what mantras you might use and then practice them in training, in workouts, see how they work as you try them on for size, and then you can take them into races. But again, these are words, phrases that can change. For me, they often change from race to race. But this is an effective way to dissociate your brain from the pain, dissociate from the negative thoughts, and repurpose those thoughts into something that's focused and positive. Mantras. Think about them. Use them. This is something to apply in training and workouts, and then certainly in races. The fourth thing, other tools for distraction. Think about other tools for distraction. One for me that I've been using a lot frequently is simply counting. I've been using this a bunch in workouts, used this in races for years. Counting to 30 or 60 for me is a way to dissociate from the pain. It's kind of like the equivalent of the Stephen Hawking documentary in the study that Alex referenced. It's a neutral thought that is easy for me to get into that helps dissociate from the pain that also distracts me from those negative thoughts. So when I'm in rhythm and I tell myself, just count to 60, just focus and count to 60, push for 60, hold a rhythm for 60, whatever it might be for 60 seconds, it helps me get through it. I was using it yesterday. We were doing one minute pickups as a part of a very light workout within a medium long run. And for whatever reason, again, hot and tough, humid day, 75 degree dew point, it was, I was a bit sluggish. And so on each of those one minute pickups, even though they were short, I was just counting to 60 in my head, which helped me dissociate from those negative thoughts about the heat and how it should be affecting me and just focus on the task at hand, stay relaxed, stay smooth, stay in rhythm. So counting is one way that I do this that is a completely neutral thought but that helps me dissociate from those negative thoughts or from the pain that might be coming on. So think about ways if you don't want to be in that positive space for whatever reason to just be in a neutral space. Counting is one example of that. So now as I wrap this episode, I wanted to just put a bow on that self-talk piece, which is that a lot of us think about self-talk as a cheesy thing especially when we're talking about vision boards and things like that. But it's not. And just like you're going to do the practical work in training to get the results that you need, you have to do the practical work from a mental standpoint in order to get the results that you want as well. These are four really simple practical tips that you can take in any form that you have or want without making it too cheesy. You can morph it however fits into what's comfortable for you. but Think about that vision, dream, write it down. Put it somewhere that you can see and remind yourself every day. Have that positive affirmation that you say to yourself every day that helps specifically address those common negative thoughts in your brain. Use mantras. Practice them in workouts so that you can then take the ones that work and, and put them to work for you on race day. And then finally, have other tools and tactics that you can bring to bear that will get you into a neutral place because as that study from Alex showed, that can be as effective as positive self-talk in terms of avoiding that negative space that can bring you down. Cheesy, maybe, 
But I promise you, as somebody that's been using this stuff forever, as an athlete, as in a coach, as a coach, it totally works. These are four practical ways to put it to work. I highly recommend you do that. So there you go. That's this episode. Address the heat head on and address the negative self-talk head on. I gave you some practical tips for both. Hope that's helpful as we enter these challenging summer months here in the Northern Hemisphere. So I'm going to wrap this episode here. As always, thank you for listening. You can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. I won't talk to you next week, but I will the week after on August 5th. Until then, I'll talk to you soon.